This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We're momming today with Andrea Thomas. Her daughter, Ashley, was killed a few years ago uh, when she took a painkiller that was laced with fentanyl. And now that dealer was convicted to life behind bars. And that is a victory. Andrea, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's been a tough couple of years. Yes, this uh, proceeding with Holder went on for four four years. Holder being the fentanyl dealer, Bruce Holder. Yes, yes. So really four and a half years. So we're glad that that chapter is uh, behind us now. And this offers hope to other families who've seen their loved ones die because of of fentanyl. Ashley Romero was 32. Um, She had a son. He was eight years old at the time. You're raising him. Um, She wasn't on drugs. What happened? So my daughter had pancreatitis. Um, I certainly would not say that she had never used uh, any type of uh, drug you know, recreationally, uh, which isn't an option now, of course. Uh, Ashley had pancreatitis. She had uh, acute pain and did not go to an ER one night when she had one of these outbreaks and was given a half of a pain pill um, by someone that she trusted. And neither one of them knew that it contained fentanyl. I don't think any of us knew about fentanyl at that time in 2018. And it took Ashley's life almost instantly. Did the dealer, Andrea, did Bruce Holder know that it contained fentanyl? Yes. So Holder was bringing these pills across the border uh, into our state. And um, at one point, they were being manufactured with fentanyl. Um, That was, you know, when the perfect storm was starting, right? And these, uh, there were no longer uh, prescription pain pills for sale on the street because of the change in laws. And he uh, started bringing these fentanyl counterfeits, uh, counterfeit fake pills into Colorado. Uh, he knew it was taking, they were taking lives. He was advising people not to drink with them uh, or only to take uh, a smaller dose because they were stronger than the others. But he was not telling people that what was in them uh, could potentially kill them. And uh, and, uh, Ashley only took half a pill, correct? Yes, and that was typical for Ashley. Uh, When she would be hospitalized for her pancreatitis, they would give her three pain pills uh, when she would go home. And generally, she wouldn't use those pills. They made her feel sick. Uh, She didn't like them. But if she had to, she would use a half a pill. So when I heard that she was given a half a pill, that, that doesn't seem odd to me. Um, you know, when you put it in perspective with all of the other things, Holder telling them to take less, things like that, um, you would think that's why Ashley did it. But it was typical for Ashley to use only a half of her prescription med. When it's, do we know how many 
um, people died as a result of drugs that they received from Bruce Holder? Well, the federal government's case brought forward eight. Um, certainly there were more people connected to Holder down the line. Uh, we did a, an investigation of sorts on our own and connected so many people to Holder that were using these pills um, and passed away during that time. So will we ever have that number, right? It's amazing to me that in a rural community uh, where I live in Grand Junction, you know, there's just uh, like maybe 230,000 people that so many deaths were attributed to one person, the only dealer of fentanyl at the time that anyone is aware of in Grand Junction. And, uh, you know, this was happening clear in, in 2018 and not alarming anyone. You know, it wasn't even being talked about. When Ashley died, uh, I was not aware there were other deaths, and hers was the last one. And now you've connected. You started a foundation, Voices for Awareness, and you're connecting with other family members who have turned their grief into activism. What are you finding? I mean, when I read the headline that this fentanyl dealer received life in prison, I said, finally, because we don't hear that enough. Well, you know, the day of Ashley's service, my girlfriends pulled me into the bathroom and they showed me a PSA from the police department, our local police department, and it had a picture of the two little blue pills, right? And I'd never seen them before. It was the first time. And I knew at that moment that this warning talking about these pills and that they could be deadly meant that there were others, but I hadn't heard of them. So immediately uh, the next day we began making phone calls and reaching out to everyone that we could. Um, warning them about these pills and getting more information. Where did they come from? You know, uh, I I didn't know about counterfeit pills then. And I I was a young mother for Ashley's age. We talked about drugs and alcohol and all of the above. So um, what I was finding is that there were so many more and no one was talking about it and it was becoming prevalent. So surely after, you you know, you're you're very aware in the last five years how this um, is just snowballing the fentanyl crisis. And so I started connecting with other families, started advocating everywhere that I could. And eventually after starting voices, started facing fentanyl where I, uh, we created the national day, the national fentanyl prevention and awareness day to really get this information out all over the country. We of course, uh, work with legislation, law enforcement, every aspect of fentanyl, but these affected families all over the United States have been working so hard, you know, screaming from the rooftops and we're not seeing a lot of change. You know, they're doing, we are all doing that work of the federal government, uh, right now, um, spending our own money using every resource that we can. And of course, uh, every bit of our energy, uh, to combat this fentanyl crisis. Andrea, we help. we're going to uh, take a quick break on We're Momming Today, and we'll be back right after this. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We're back on We're Momming today with Andrea Thomas, uh, the founder of the foundation Voices for Awareness. And um, Andrea, you know, you said you and other grieving families 
are doing the work of the federal government in trying to get fentanyl off of our streets and out of the the systems of all Americans, especially our young our young ones. What is the government not doing that you have asked them specifically to do? Well, you know, most of our families, we we cannot uh, we can't address the fentanyl that's or we can't stop the fentanyl that's coming into the country. But certainly, we can teach prevention, and that's what most of us do. We bring awareness, we teach prevention, and we work in on any fentanyl issue that we can to try to make positive change, Wait. right? And to save lives. Uh, the, the federal government, we are urging them to recognize that this is a public health crisis, that it's a national security crisis. And we've put a letter out last year to President Biden on our national fentanyl prevention and awareness day, pleading with him to warn the American people, much like he did, or much like we were warned during COVID, right? In a week, we all knew uh, to wash our hands, wear a mask, uh, stay six feet apart. There should be consistent uh, warnings right now to the American public. There are so many people that still don't know about fentanyl and do not what? understand how lethal it is. Well, what about the one pill can kill campaign? Um, well, yeah, the DEA came in with one D, one pill can kill. Certainly, it's made a difference. Uh, they have other campaigns, Red Ribbon Campaign, where they talk about illicit drug use. Um, these are all very helpful things, but it isn't enough. Our, our DEA certainly needs more resources. Uh, they've put their hands out to us. They've embraced us as families uh, to try to have a working relationship and they're they've excelled at that they're doing very well with that and we appreciate that but they are investigators right they're federal investigators and now they are handling uh, affected families as well working with us and although we appreciate that are we tying them up uh every resource they have needs to be used uh to catch these transnational criminals and uh, they're just trying to balance everything and make this work the best that they, the best that they can. Our federal government needs to put to to put more resources into the DEA. Uh, they need more funding. Our, certainly, our police departments do. The lack of resources for investigation um, is a huge crisis. And what? we're drowning here. But but it, is it also actually taking the drug dealers off the streets? And putting them behind bars, not just arresting them, actually convicting and sentencing them. Well, accountability them. to me is so very important. We're not talking about a user, right? We're talking about these distributors that are killing uh, so many, like Bruce Holder did. There's a, he's um, a murderer. Yes. And my, you know, I, I don't see him any different than a mass murderer. If there was someone out there uh, where you are in New York City taking lives, uh, you would call him a mass murderer after he killed so many people. And that's exactly what Holder did. And I don't see him any difference. So this sentencing was very, very important to me. Of course, it's legal justice, right? There will never be justice, uh, complete justice for taking my daughter's life. But this is the system. It finally worked in this case. And there are so many families out there that need this type of support. I was blessed with the team of agents and uh, attorneys uh, U.S. attorneys that were on this case for Ashley, 
my daughter could have just been another overdose. You know, they call these poisonings overdoses. And then end of ca- end of story, end of case, um, as many are across the United States. So I do, I am so very appreciative. This team of people, they will forever be angels to me. Uh, and of course, DEA uh, went above and beyond for I, our kids. I understand that you'll never have justice. I, I do. But this small victory, this legal justice, as you call it, do you think it, it, it has sent... Um, the signal to other dealers that, you know, if you don't want to spend the rest of your life behind bars, don't sell fake pills controlled uh, because this charge controlled substance counterfeiting. That's relatively new and it's a big deal. Yes. So in Colorado, first counterfeiting fentanyl charge uh, that was convicted and and now the longest sentence that we've seen out there. So um, I hope it sets a precedence. I, I, you know, our federal laws for fentanyl distribution are, you know, if states would mirror a lot of those laws, uh, we would have better outcomes in different in the states. In Colorado, of course, uh, we're like second uh, worst state for distribution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and fentanyl deaths. So we have got to, uh, re- the human life is the bottom line here. And that's our plea, of course, to our administration, our current administration, that where is the respect for human life? We cannot just discount all of these deaths. It does not matter whether they are unsuspecting people that were given fentanyl. It does not matter if they are an active user. It does not matter if they were experimenting. All human life is equal, and every one of them should be treated as such. And so accountability is very important in these distribution cases. How is your grandson Daniel doing? He was eight at the time. He's now 13. Surely he remembers his mom. Um, but, you know, you've had him for for the past five years. Well, you know, I remember that day. Our, our hugest, most, uh, you know, our concern was to get to Daniel right away. He had been with spending the evening with his other grandparents, and uh, we needed to get to him right away. As awful as this news was, and as much as we didn't want to relay it to him, that was the most important thing to us. And even at such a young age, uh, he had faith. And that's what's gotten our family uh, through this nightmare, really. Um, and I remember remember when I spoke to him thinking that he, how would he even understand that? And he spoke with us about heaven and he understood where his mother went. And uh, through this whole process, I, I can't imagine what's gone on in his head. We are a very close family. We talk about my daughter every day, um, very open conversation. And to see him stand there with his mother's picture in that courtroom, uh, with the defense protesting that he was standing there with his mother's picture. He stood tall. He stood proud. Um, I'm sure he's heard stories about his mother, even in that courtroom, the defense, the things that they were saying about our daughter uh, had to have been hard for him to hear. But he's been a blessing to us. And it was important to me not only for him to be there for his mother that day, but to understand the magnitude of this crisis. He's a teenager himself, and experimentation is a part of teenage life, uh, part of growing up. And so I want it to be very clear to Daniel uh, 
how fentanyl, that it is so lethal, it can take a life. Uh, it's, this isn't a game. So he is very clear on that and he advocates himself in certain situations. So uh, I'm lucky to have him by my side in that in that work, right? I hope he takes more of it on as an adult. Um, but I'm not the only grandmother raising a grandchild out there. And of course I would, he's a blessing to me, uh, but we have seniors that are raising newborn babies, yep. uh, infants, because they've lost one or both parents to fentanyl, uh, a topic we're not talking about in the United States. It's called and grand where families, children go? right? Andrea, yeah. grand families is the term of that, and it's really skyrocketing yes. because of A, yeah. COVID, but B, fentanyl. Yeah. And where? what about these children? There are so many of them. And of course, now we're seeing uh, toddlers losing their lives because they're getting into pills like this in their homes. Um, you, it's a tragedy. Do you, I, I know your daughter wasn't a user, but a lot of listeners are impacted by children with who have addictions. Um, so, yes, yes, I am very familiar with addiction. My daughter suffered from alcoholism. Oh. Uh, that's why she had pancreatitis. Um, and I didn't talk a lot about that in the beginning because so many people see uh, the life of an addict as well. And, you know, good, they're gone or they shouldn't have used, they shouldn't this, that and the other. We've got to drop the stigma. And now with fentanyl in the United States, uh, we're ravaged now by addiction, right? It was already a huge problem. But these pills are deceptively made to be high, you know, to look like something else. Uh, they're in all of the drugs that are out there and they are highly addictive. Fentanyl is highly addictive. So we talk to people in focus groups that would rather use one more time because knowing that they'll die, they could possibly die. That's the last time that they would ever use. But you know what? Um, they have Narcan, so they can just, you know, revive themselves or have someone else do it and be fine again. Isn't that well, what they the withdraw, think? The withdrawal is so horrific. It's worse than heroin. Yeah. So the cartel knows what they're doing. They're very creative. Um you know, they bring these pills in looking like counterfeits. They then begin putting in every other drug out there. And then they make it so addictive that recovery is uh, decreasing every day. There's almost no chance for recovery with fentanyl. So, you know. Do, can you say that again? There's almost no chance of recovery yes. from fentanyl? Yes. So we are working with our recovery communities now not only affected families but we have a huge following with the recovery communities and they've come in to tell us uh you know they they were there they know what it was like whether it was fentanyl or other drugs right because what's next fentanyl is not the last drug we're gonna we have xylazine we've got trank out there uh before this we had heroin meth and so uh, and and just we, just we, because people don't know, I, I know Trank is is what is it fifty times more powerful than fentanyl? Oh yes, and and uh, is naloxone going to work on a lot of these drugs? You know, I'm a big advocate for naloxone. Uh, we have kits that we put out. We distribute a lot of Cloxato, which is the eight milligram instead of a four milligram, because fentanyl is um, you're having to dose so many more times in these poisonings or overdoses, and. Uh, so uh, surely, you know, of course, naloxone is an antidote, but none of this is 100% foolproof, right? So I, go back, I guess I go back to the same question, and this is where I started with um, when I said your daughter wasn't um, an addict, but 
if we know that something is so powerful and even the tiniest amount can kill us, I remember that video recently of a Florida police officer who at a traffic stop um, unknowingly encountered loose fentanyl in the vehicle and she overdosed. And the video came out and and she said, please release it. I I want everybody to see how strong this drug is. Um, A little boy, a toddler. He was in the grass in, at a park in, in California, and he overdosed. A, a toddler. We're see, I think he was nine months old, so not even a toddler. My, my point is, the public has been told, the message has been sent, yet more and more people are A, using, and B, dying. And I, I, I just feel at a loss of what the solution is. Well, we've got to teach prevention. We have to stop it before it starts. So you can't be a casual uh, drug user? You, it, no, there's no experimenting anymore. You know, when you think about old drugs and you wish they were there instead of the drugs of today, that's pretty bad, right? Like I have users tell me, we, we, we're looking for the drugs from before. Um, they're scared to death out there too, but these are people that are already, uh, there were there were people out there suffering from substance abuse and then they begin using drugs that have fentanyl in them. They didn't, they didn't even know uh, their chances are decreased, they're dying and you know, we've got to stop this before it starts. We've got to have some change here. And if there is not a demand, then you can fill this country with fentanyl and it won't be an issue. Um, But we also have to address, you know, we've got to sanction some of these countries. Do you think that there is a fentanyl problem in China? There certainly is not. But they ship the chemicals uh, to Mexico. They make the drug in Mexico and it just comes across or, or bordering kills your daughter. Yes. And and in the hands of Americans that are now selling, right? Because the cartels are reaching out to our kids and on social media, buck, right? Yes. On social media. When my daughter died, these pills were selling for 35 to $50. You can get a pill now for 83 cents. They're reaching our kids right through their through social media. So you can be sitting at the kitchen table with them eating dinner and you've got a distributor with you across the table from you on the phone. One fake um, painkiller is less than $1. Yes, in many parts of the country. And then there's states like Montana where they're selling for as much as $100, $120. It's all over the place. Uh, we've got uh, our families. Uh, I'm working with one of my, the organizations that works with us. For them, we fight, you know, a team of mothers, right? And they have a slogan they're lending us this year, and it's called Fight Like a Mother, right? <laughs> And I love love that because we don't stop. And there is, you know, through my daughter's passing, I would say that I'm probably a changed, a very different person. Uh, How so? Not scared to say no, uh, not timid of who would think I'd be talking to uh, governors and senators and legislatures and uh, DEA uh, making visits to the to uh, the White House, things like that. None of those things. And the only reason that I do that is because uh, of my advocacy. I wish that I was never in this position. So I'm not frightened by any of that. Uh, We're not scared of doors closing in our faces. It gives us even more strength. Um, These families out there, fathers too, uh, work every day, nonstop to warn others. We've lost our children already. There's nothing, we're not doing this to martyr to uh, make anybody feel sorry for us. We're warning you. 
to please find out to know before it's too late for you. I'm not meaning um, this with any ill content or, or trying to belittle anything that you're doing, but the scale of the problem has just gotten so big. I just wonder if there is a way out. Well, I think that we, in reaching one person at a time, I'm really big on in-person prevention during time of COVID. You know, we, we lost so many of our kids in social media and look what it's left us with. Um, We've got to not just, this isn't a, a just say no to drugs situation, right? We need to inform youth. We need to make sure they understand, not just that we tell them, they need to understand uh, to make choices that are better for them. And there are, we've got to get back in their face, right? No, no pretty websites, uh, state websites that you think that your kid's going to go to before they use. That's not the way that it works. They don't know the magnitude of the issue, the magnitude of the, th- the lethality. And that's what we need to get out to these kids. At what age? I think that we should start doing this as young as we can. I've got a seven-year-old or a, a nine-year-old grandson and a three-year-old granddaughter. And I've been talking to my seven-year-old or nine-year-old grandson for quite some time uh, about this issue. You can break these things down to them on their terms for their age. Is it being done and, in school? Uh, a lot of schools are starting to open up to this information. We're putting kits out like naloxone, uh, opioid reversal kits that contain information education for schools so they can start that conversation there. And we donate donate those around the country. Um, affected families are going into schools. So many of the, these affected families have their own curriculum. Uh, I work with a lot of organizations that do wonderful work uh, in in the schools. But yeah, there's a lot of schools out there. We still need a lot of them to open their doors up to us. And I remember one of those conversations could make a huge difference. I went to with a, a child. Uh, funeral of my mother's friend um, whose son died from. Um a heroin overdose. It it was a few years ago. It was probably fentanyl. Um, And at the funeral, the parents were so strong. They had five children. Um, He had children with his girlfriend, who is also a user. So now the grandparents are raising the children, as you noted, is is common. But at the funeral, there were no tears. They had the, uh, the pastor, the priest, I should say, um, speak to everybody in that room who were probably users and and set an, and make an example of their friend who had just died of their son. Not one tear. I think everybody was just really scared, and I was affected by that. I was like, "Oh wow, this is supposed to be a funeral, but we're getting like a drug prevention lesson." And kind of the light bulb yeah. went out in my head that this is a big deal. Yeah, I will tell you that the day before our nas- our first national day this last year, um, my partner Mike Fiore in recovery, and he, we put this letter out to our president, pleading to him for help. And Mike was sharing that letter across the country. He, he has a big social media following. And that evening, we had addicts sending videos in, uh, please through TikTok and all of these other social media sites for help and to sign this letter asking the president for help because they were suffering out there. Uh, this isn't so easy to stop once you've started. It's not a mindset in a lot of in a lot of instances. Um, there's all I certainly have not ever been a drug addict or a user, so I, I can't break it down. Um, I don't feel like I have the right to be doing that. 
But certainly all of these people in recovery that are putting their hands out and doing the best that they can to reach others um, is what we need. And, you know, we have one in three people across our nation are addicted to something. That's, you know, if you asked, if you went in a room in a stadium right now full of people and asked how many of them have been affected by drugs or lost somebody by drugs or are in recovery themselves or are addicted, almost everyone in the, in that venue would raise their hand. Yeah. So we have to work on this. We've got to talk to our kids. Your kids know a lot, or maybe they don't know anything. So you've got to warn them now, right? You've got to warn them about these drug menus that they can access on uh, social media. They don't even have to be looking for them. Uh, My youngest daughter would come home and show me these drug menus that people were sending to her um, through Facebook or Snapchat. She wasn't asking for them. And so that's how easy it is. What is a drug menu? a dry, you you could pull it up like we would pull up DoorDash uh-huh. and pick a restaurant. Uh, you can go onto social media and there are menus of different drugs. Well, how is that not censored? <laughs> exactly. So they are being complicit. Our social media uh, apps out there are complicit with this. If they went in and stopped this in its entirety, it would take their ad dollars. Uh, and then what? So they know this is happening. I believe that they could stop a lot of it and they are presenting to the public that they have safety measures uh, in place um, that will safeguard our kids and that we can check on uh, the usage of our kids. And in most cases, you know, that's just not enough. We're losing a lot of people that are purchasing kids that are purchasing drugs on Snapchat and other apps. There has to be accountability there. Andrea, thank you for the time. Thank you so much for having me. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.